0: you want to grab your pew Bibles, um, we're reading from Psalm 56, which is page 476 in the pew Bibles. Uh, So hear the word of the Lord from uh, the mouth of his servant, David. I'm in Psalm 56. Uh, God's word says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause, all their thoughts against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape, In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is the very word of God. And again, our uh, New
1: Testament lesson is from the Gospel of John, a very familiar passage for, for many of us. You can find it uh, on page 901 of the Pew Bible. Um John chapter 14, John chapter 14. I think your, your bulletin says one through 14, but but um, we're going to actually just focus on the first six verses if we can. So I'll invite you to follow along with that as I read it. John 14 verses one through six in the English Standard Version. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Some of you hear mansions right then? From the King James Version, yeah. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to the place that I'm going. He almost says that on, off the cop and, and, and you know already the way to the place I'm going. And Thomas, who so many times puts into words what we're feeling, what we're thinking, but afraid to say. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The very Word of God. God. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you for your Word. I have so much to be thankful for. I was looking for Randy and Jennifer. I didn't see them, but Ellen and Bob are here. And it wasn't that many hours ago, was it? That we were standing uh, on this on this chancel, uh, watching Halsey and Matt uh, unite their hearts together uh, for under covenant covenant love for uh, the sacrament of marriage and, and um, we 're just blessed we 're just blessed to to watch that happen, um, but Jesus has done something now that um, that didn't leave that sense of blessing. We didn't read the passage, but many of you in your Sunday school classes this morning saw that, that something terrible has happened in the lives of the disciples. Jesus has, has said, I'm gonna leave you. And, and if that were not enough, he said, and the reason that I'm leaving you is because I'm gonna be betrayed. I'm gonna be betrayed. And, and if that were not enough, Jesus tells them, One of you is going to betray me. And we're talking one of the 12 that are sitting there at that Passover dinner with him. And if that were not enough, Jesus tells Peter, before even dawn tomorrow, you, Peter, are going to deny me three times. No wonder, no wonder something's going on in their hearts. And I I, I know you have. You're like me. I know that you have that experience where something disorients you. and, and, And sometimes it's as obvious as what they're experiencing here, but many times it's not. Many times we can't put our finger on what's going on, but all we know is that something is stirring within us. Something's stirring. And Jesus speaks to that. When you get disturbing news... Jesus speaks into it. And we have many examples in this last week of people that suddenly their whole world was turned upside down by news that came in a text or in a a phone call. But for many of us, those experiences are are much deeper. They're much more deeply seated. And that's why I I summed out for a moment uh, of our series on the soils, on the sower on the parable of the sower, and, and, and wanted to go deeper, if I could, for a second about our hearts. We discovered uh, over the last two weeks that the soils in the parable represent our hearts. And what do you do when your heart is turned upside down? Well, it could be for countless reasons. It could be because of something simple as, as well, me drop-kicking the wedding ring yesterday at the wedding across the floor. I was going for a field goal and I missed. Um, And I just felt totally disoriented after that. For many of us, it's much more serious than that. For many of us, it's deep-seated issues. Oftentimes, amazingly, this fear of abandonment. This, this anxiety about the future, possibly without whomever or whatever we love. That's what the disciples were experiencing. But I think it's a, it's a parable in a way of our experiences as well. We live in that same world. We struggle with those same issues. And so Jesus' words to his disciples in the midst of that are words to you and me as well they're an invitation to you and me as well our hearts get stirred up and jesus speaks to us so what does he say there's three and i i chose to put in here their commands because they're very strongly worded here from jesus three commands for us in in the very first verse of our passage that speak to this situation. First, he says, don't let your heart be troubled, right? Don't let your heart be troubled. And it kind of implies that somehow we have control over that situation. Did you remember when I shared with you we had that thirteen minutes of trauma and, and, and one experience in our lives when we lost track, of matthew when he was a small child and i shared with you before that that i could just feel that that weight of a, a burden coming over me and and when we found him we were overjoyed when it appeared that he was not um injured that that he had not been kidnapped he had not been hurt he probably just was ran across the hot sand um the the Relief was there, but the trauma was still with us. And, and we had to make a choice at that part. It didn't help that the police were arriving and there was a, a, a TV station or somebody there shooting video and things like that. But but, but we had a choice to make at that time. And Jesus is is, is commanding us, speaking into that choice. Don't let yourself be stirred up. Now again, we've studied it extensively, but if you're visiting with us here, in the Bible, your heart, that word that we use heart so freely in our language, is really the center of your will in in the Bible. Now, now it's counseled as we've seen in your soul, by your mind and and also by your emotions and, and many of us struggle with one or the other of those things more so than the other one. Some of us are very emotionally driven and we find ourselves traumatized and our minds cannot help us in that situation. And I'm guessing there's a few of you like me. I woke up at at 3 and then at 5 again thinking about even this service and my mind was just going. I couldn't stop my mind from going. But both your mind and your emotions counsel... In your soul, this thing that the Bible calls your heart, this this place of decision-making, this center of choice, this thing that we call your will. So what Jesus is saying in commanding us, and He actually, he actually says, if you just took it literally from the Greek, um, stop letting your hearts be stirred up. I know you're already doing it. He says, stop letting your hearts be stirred up and in that command he's implying that you have more power over your will than you might be willing to admit he's saying you can choose how you're going to respond in any circumstance i love psalm 56 for countless reasons thank you for sharing it with us jordan it's so much fun to have jordan here just a few weeks ago you Saw a picture of him as he graduated with his with his um, master's degree. We're so grateful for that. But the psalm that he read—did you hear that? I can remember it from Vacation Bible School about twenty years ago. When I am afraid, I will trust. Did you hear that? I will trust in you. Are not God my tears in your bottle? Are, are, are not my sorrows recorded in your book? The psalmist said in Psalm 56, I'm I'm going to choose God in the midst of my emotions taking over. I'm going to choose in the midst of my mind running rampant. I'm going to choose God to trust in you. So he says, stop, stop letting your hearts be stirred up. And it's going to take some practice for us. But he's saying you can do it. I've created you in a way that you can choose not to get stirred up over your circumstances. And praise God, he not only tells us to stop doing this, but he gives us something to fill that void that that, that anxiety and that fear once took in our lives. He, he says, replace that fear with faith, trust, trust in God. When I am afraid, David said, I will trust in you. I will stop fearing and start trusting, right? And again, most people that you encounter, especially here in the buckle of the Bible belt here, will say, I believe in God. But he's asking more than just intellectual assent that God exists. He's asking you to put your weight down on God. Who God is. He's asking you to put your weight down on His sovereignty even over the circumstances which are causing you to be stirred up at the moment. He's, he's in, I almost said inviting, but it is still in the command form. He's commanding you, you no, know, replace that fear and that anxiety with trust. Now, this is going to be much more meaningful for you if you'll think for just a moment about the kinds of things that stir up your heart. And, and if we're honest, there's probably something going on right now that's stirring up your heart. And this is much more meaningful if you'll have that in mind. Because God is inviting you. Yes, even that situation, God is inviting you to put your weight down on Him rather than the circumstances, right? Right? That's what faith is. It's putting your weight down. We've seen some spectacular illustrations of that, right? It's putting your weight down on what God says to be true. But Jesus goes one step further. Um, Again, in his day, certainly the the 12 people, if they were still all 12 with him at that point, no, they're not. Uh, uh, Judas has already left. Um, the eleven people there would say, yes, Jesus, I trust in God. I believe in God. And Jesus says, then believe also in me. We didn't read it, but if we go on in chapter 14, there's quite a discussion between the disciples and, and Jesus. And they say, this would be so much easier, Jesus, if you would just show us the Father. Right? We want to see the Father. That will happen, by the way, one day. One day you will see face to face the Father and it will be such a spectacular thing that, that John who has sought before us in Revelation I think it's chapter 21 John was just absolutely overwhelmed and he could not describe it. But Jesus says you've got to understand this and he actually explicitly says it in John 14. I If you've seen Me, you have seen the Father. Believe in the Father, but believe also in Me. And that's a step that some of us today need to take. We don't have a problem believing and putting our weight down. There is a God, and I believe that He's a personal God, and that He, He both created me and cares for me. But at some point, Jesus is asking you, I want you to believe and trust that I and the Father, as he would say later in John, are one. That I am fully God in your midst. And I love this about God. Because like John, I struggle to, I'm grateful for the imagery of the Father that he uses. But when you actually see the description of God, uh, as, as John experienced it, it's indescribable. Uh, it's, it's, It's not something that I can wrap my finite brain around. And so Jesus says, believe also in me. God became flesh, John told us, and dwelt among us. God took on flesh so that you could see what God in the flesh would look like. And he invites you, Jesus invites you to put your weight down on him. A lot of us, um, I can't get the word out of my head, we, we play uh, with that understanding. Yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And, and, and it worked really well for us until Jesus says or does something that um, we don't want to say or do. And, and all of a sudden, we, well, I, you know, um, that's been interpreted. That's, that's been uh, massaged by different cultures. And that's probably not what it really meant. Let's just be simple, you guys. Jesus is inviting you to hear His Word, to believe that everything He does is a reflection of His Father's will. And He invites us to both love and obey Him, to put our weight down on who He is. To do that, you're going to have to let go of your self-sovereignty. You're going to have to let go of your self-lordship. You're going to have to let... God be God in your life. But Jesus commands it. Know that. Stop. Stop letting your heart be stirred up. Start putting your weight down on who you understand God to be. Start putting your weight down on me. A beautiful challenges from Jesus. What I love... About God and here in this passage, especially about Jesus, is that he not only commands us, but he also comforts us. There's four truths right here in these six verses, four truths that comfort us in our time of need. And don't let um, the song that you might know that goes to these words or the or the understanding you had as a child of these words keep you from hearing them as if for the first time. He says to us in my father's house are many rooms many places to abide right if it were not so i would have excuse me would i have told you that i go to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and take you to be with myself so that where i am you may be also what is he saying he's saying comfort yourself with these words there's plenty of room yes for you Yes, for you, in heaven, and, I, and I'm overemphasizing that statement because because there are actually cultures where they believe that's a very finite number of people that can be there. We were doing the math in the Sunday school class this morning, but if we understand, and again, I'm sorry, it's jumping out of my head, but I think it's Revelation 21. It, it gives a physical description of what heaven is like, and and that physical description, if if you just understood it. <laughs> Just understood it in terms of square miles. Heaven would be in 2.25 million square miles, but but heaven isn't a plat of land, um, like real estate that you sell. The description that he gives of it is a three-dimensional aspect. It's a cube. We discovered right, and and someone in our class did did the math. I think it was Nathan and and. And it comes out to be 3.3 billion square miles. There's room. There's room for you.
0: Uh,
1: the problem for most of us is that we don't, it's not a problem of physical space. The problem for most of us is, is, is that we don't believe that we're worthy of, of God setting apart a place for us. I feel that way when I, when I visit someone and people are so gracious and I'm traveling or something. They'll open up their basement or their home for me or my parents when we go and visit them. And, and I'm so grateful for the, all the energy and all this stuff. And I don't feel worthy of that, right? The problem for many of us is we don't feel worthy of being in eternity with, with, with our Father, our Heavenly Father. And, and so we, we come back to the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As our elders told me many years ago, you're not worthy, Pastor Dave. You're not worthy. It's not about you. Jesus has done it for you. Jesus has accomplished it for you. It's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done. I know it sounds simple. it sounds overly simple, but but when you put your weight down on that, when you say, Jesus, I received that precious gift, that that you do did what I could not do myself, that that you uh pleased the Father, and through faith in you my life can be pleasing to the Father as well, then then we suddenly realize there's plenty of room in God's house. We were we were remarking this morning that that for 2,000 years, nearly 2,000 years, Jesus has been preparing a place. Isn't that awesome? And that's, I think, why we kind of got off on a bunny trail and started talking about mansions and streets of gold and all kinds of stuff. He just says, a place. He just says, a place. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been preparing a place for you. Are you going to leave it empty? Or are you going to risk believing that this what sounds too good to be true is true? And say God I'm not worthy, but I accept this precious gift. There is room for you. Jesus is preparing a place for you in heaven. And and if that were not enough, that just by faith in Him, and it is true, we will be there. Jesus says, I'll come back and get you. I'll come back and get you. I don't know. i had so many stories of people in my life. When cousin, when, when she passed away, she died of breast cancer in her 30s, in her low 30s. And when she passed away they came into her room and she, was, she crawled out of bed onto the chair next to the bed and her arms were wide open. And it was like she was just receiving. I don't know. I, I don't know what she saw, but I, I, have, I, I like to think that Jesus came for her. She trusted Him and, and, and in her hour of greatest need that He came for her and received her to Himself. But I do know this for certain, that, that should we not pass away on this earth? Paul tells us in First in Thessalonians that we will go and meet Him in the air. We will physically see Him. That's how we combat some of the false Gospels that are out there, that, that say that Jesus has already come, or that He'll come in this way or that way. The Word of God is really clear. He'll come and everyone will see Him. Everyone will see Him. But to those who put their trust in him, they will join him. We, excuse me, we will join him in the air and spend eternity with him. Jesus not only is preparing a place, but he's going to come back. And you don't have to figure out how it's going to happen because you're going to have a personal guide. Did you enjoy, Kathy, the guide that you had in Israel? Bill was telling me about her. Apparently, she's a little spark plug. Is that right? Yeah, and she was kind of shepherding 41 of you guys, is that right, Mike and Anne? Around, um, around Israel. Um, but it's so comforting to know that you have an Israeli there, right, guiding you in Israel. Guess what? You've got, you got a resident of heaven. You've got a third of the Trinity of God who says, I'm coming and I'm going to show you. How to we get there? Wow. Wow. Jesus is coming back. But Jesus says this, and, and I think it's going to slap us just like it slapped Thomas when he said it that night in the upper room. Um, he said, You know the way. You know. So hear this as from Jesus Himself to you. You know the way to the place where I'm going. How are you doing with that question? Some of you going, um, okay, I can live with that, right? Yeah, I think I, I think I. Some of you going, uh, I, I don't, I don't know the way, right? I don't know the way Jesus. I find a lot of comfort from what Pastor Dave just said, that you're going to come and show me yourself. You're going to come back and lead me there. But, but Jesus is saying right now you already know the way, right? Well, what is that way? Jesus says, I am the way, right? For all you men who have, who have forever tried to please someone, right? And you've tried to... You've tried to fit into the image. I share with you, when my father became a follower of Jesus, I've I've spent the rest of my days trying to live up to who he thinks I am. It's worse than that. I've spent most of my days trying to live up to who my dog thinks that I am, right? And and, and we, we... we think that we somehow have to perform for people to become acceptable and jesus says you don't have to perform we think well i just have to know enough stuff right i just have to have enough propositional truth and he says no you don't have to know enough stuff there will people that 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 don't know the four gospels in the bible are that will spend eternity with you it's not about your head knowledge it's about a person it's about jesus christ are you in relationship with Jesus Christ? Thomas says, we, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, yes, you do. This is, this is just amazing news for Thomas, right? You do already, Thomas. You're in already, Thomas, because you know me. Do you know? Do you know my Savior? Do you know my Redeemer? Do you know Jesus? If if you don't, or if you're not sure, talk to someone. I would love to talk with you. Any of our worship team members love talking to our elders. The person in the pew next to you would love to talk with you about that. But you can know for certain that you know. Right? I know it sounds like I'm double speaking. But you can know that you know. And that's where the peace, that's where the joy, that's where the hope comes from. That your eternity is secure. And no matter what you experience here, it's all under the sovereign control of God. So I've got a couple quick words. i just, if I could, I'm not trying to exclude women today, but if you would allow me, would you grace me, women, just to be able to speak to men just for a second. And, and if, it's, if it works for you, if it's true for you, praise God. But men, you have a Father. You have a Father. And that Father is for you and not against you. Did you hear that? Did you hear that in Psalm 56? He's for you. God is for you, men. And with that and not enough, then the Apostle Paul just puts an exclamation point on it. He says, what shall we say to all these amazing truths about the love of God? If God is for us, he says, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us graciously all things? Romans eight thirty one and 32, right? God is not against you. This is not a puzzle, a, 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 one of those puzzle rooms that you've got to figure out a way out of this. It's already been done for you. God is for you. But here's another reality, fathers, men today, that you're either becoming more like Him or you're becoming less like Him. Do you remember our scripture from last week? To who, Him who has will more be given? But to him who does not have even what he has will be taken away. You can you can begin doing today what you will do for eternity. You can begin today to know him more. John, in a letter he wrote to to a church, said these words, Beloved, you are God's excuse me, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There's going to be a day when when this discrepancy between who you are and who Jesus is, um, is diminished when it goes away and you'll see him face to face. And it'll be like looking in a mirror. Pastor Dave, I'm not there yet. Guess what? I'm not there yet either. But I have this hope. I have this hope that one day I'm going to be like Jesus, right? And, and John tells us everyone who hopes that, man, woman, child, everyone who hopes that purifies himself. Just the hope, the hope makes it happen. What are you hoping for today? Are you, are you so used to condemning yourself that you, that you shut off any hope because you don't want to disappoint yourself again? Don't hope in yourself. Hope in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. What He is doing in your life and who you're becoming. Because God's Word says you're becoming pure through that process. But one last time, if I could, men. I think God chose that imagery of Father intentionally. He chose a metaphor that we would understand. Because He wants you on His Father's Day and a day when we're focusing on the men. He wants you to represent Him. And if you're not used to me, I'm not mispronouncing. I'm, I'm, it's not just represent Him like a lawyer. No, He wants you to present Him to the people in your sphere of influence. He wants you men. To present Him to your wives. He wants you, men, to present Him again and again and again to your children. He wants you to present Him to your grandchildren. Never get tired of it, men. For whatever reason, He wants you to represent Him. That when people look at you, they would see the love of their Heavenly Father. They would see the nature and character of their Heavenly Father. Father, He wants you to be His representative. I'm not excluding you, women. You're a critical part of the image of God as well. But, men, we've got to step up. This is a critical responsibility. And God needs both the nurturing and loving aspects of His nature to be revealed through the women in our lives, but He needs also His nature and character to be revealed through. The men. So three quick questions for you. You're used to them by now. Listen today. Take a minute and listen to your heart. What is stirred up there? Can you offer that to God? Can you entrust that to God? Can you lay that down at the foot of the cross and say, God, I believe that this thing which is causing me fear and anxiety, this, this circumstance or situation, I lay at your feet and I trust you for the outcome. Ask yourself, what is it that's stirring up your heart today? And then ask yourself, if I believe this word, John 14 is true, what would be the next step for me, God? What would I need to do as a result? And as always, we'll put the question on because we know that that conviction goes away so fast. When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? I've, let me just give a for instance. I found myself struggling, uh, anxious about something. Today, God, I'm going I'm to find a quiet place And I'm going to invite your Holy Spirit to wash over me and point out to me the areas of my life that are causing me anxiety. And I'm going to consciously, God, I'm going to consciously surrender them to you again, again, because I believe your grace is available to me again. And then and then I it seems like something so not important that most of you have not taken me up on it. But I will not let go. We had a little pug come visit us a couple weeks ago. And, um, and the pug would get its teeth on something and would not let go. I will not let go of this. Who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell? Because something wonderful happens when you entrust what God is doing in your life to somebody else. If it's, a, if it's an accountability situation, something wonderful happens. They'll be all over you like flypaper. They will in love hold you accountable for the promise that you made. But if it's a joyful thing, if it's a joyful thing that you're finding freedom from something, then then God will use your freedom to give somebody else freedom. He will use your blessing to bless someone else. Don't overlook these simple steps that God has invited us to. What are you going to do? And when are you going to do it? Who are you going to tell? And when are you going to tell them?